Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are at Bible Teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are uh, getting ready to get into James chapter 4, um, if you're following along in your Bibles with us. And... Um, This is such a great section of the book of James where, as James is often doing, he's trying to get back to the heart of what is causing the problems that we're dealing with. Back in chapter 1, he talked about, you know, the source of our desires, our lusts. Uh, That doesn't come from God. Uh, That that comes from our own evil desires. And here he's going to kind of track sin back to its lair, uh, which is very similar, again, to what Jesus often did in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and he'll especially track back where sin starts within your brethren. Why is it that you're fighting and quarreling so much? Why are there conflicts among you? And he'll answer that question um, for any group of people, especially Christians. Why is it that we're fighting so much? Well, there's, there's an answer to that that will be talked about today. Yeah, so let's read. Uh, we're in James chapter 4, and um, we're going to go ahead we'll go ahead and read the whole text for today, and then we'll kind of break it up as we go. Um, we're going to do James 4, verses 1 through 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. What causes quarrels, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, or the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, so his first question in chapter 4, verse 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And every time I think about, you know, this this church getting this letter and reading it, and they read this question, what, what, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? They kind of think to themselves, well, we all know who, who the elephant in the room uh, is. Yeah, right. it's brother so-and-so. You gotta be that guy. Yeah, we know who it is. But he comes in, he says, is not the source your pleasures? that wage war in your members. Your passions. That is exactly right. It is your own sin that is causing the problems within this group of people. And I I like that he points out the conflict outside 
comes from conflicts inside. Right. It's got to come back to the heart. And it's kind of interesting. Um, this ties back to last week. He's introduced both of these sections with a question. Uh, back in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, who, who is wise and understanding among you? And everyone wants to raise their hands like, oh, 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 it's me. Yeah. <laughs> and here he says, okay, where does the quarreling and fighting come from? And everyone's like pointing fingers. And he's like, no, that's from you. Like it's uh, from these passions that are at war within you. And it's already such a healthy practice that we should be in that if, if there's a problem within maybe our local church or among people that we uh, we associate with that are brethren, it's so easy to just want to quickly point the finger and, and blame it on everybody else. But we need to ask ourselves, what sin or what problem is going on in my heart that's contributing to the lack of communication and problems that are going on here? And not to be so quick to just point the finger at someone else, but look deeply in ourselves to find out what the problem is. And sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said in, you guessed it, the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Get the plank out of your own eye before you go to get the speck out of your brother's eye. We'll talk more about that in just a minute um, in verses 11 through 12. But um, here right at the beginning, it's always worth asking, well, there's conflict. Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. First place I need to look is at my own passions, my own lusts, my own envy. Um, that is probably playing a factor, even if it's not the only thing going on. Um, we always have to look at ourselves first. And he points out in verse 2 that we have these desires and that we can't satisfy them. You desire and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. And so we... We, we kill, we, we fight, we quarrel. And I don't know if he's literally talking about murder here. He might be. I mean, yeah. he, he talks about murder in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't just not murder someone, but don't hate them. Uh, don't speak evil against them. Yeah, and he talked about murder even back in chapter 2, um, where he's making the point about partiality being a sin. He says, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So makes that point there so very yeah. possibly he's talking to people here who who have done that yeah and that's of course the most extreme form but it starts in the heart it starts with right. letting ourselves quarrel in our hearts against our brethren um and the point here is i just think this is so much the source of things is we live in a world that is trying to target and stir up the desires within us. I mean, this is the whole idea of advertising, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, you need this thing that you don't have, and we want to produce in you a desire for that thing that you can't have because then we'll get your money. Right. And like he's saying, listen, like you, you desire and can't have, so you murder. <laughs> or you, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I mean, this is the Cain and Abel story, right? right. That he's envious of his brother. He wants God's uh, you know, approval, which is a good thing to want, but instead of rising to gain God's approval, he takes out the competition. And that's the source of things. And so we have to realize we're going to keep craving and not getting as long as we're craving the wrong thing or trying to get something in the wrong way. And then he goes right into asking. Um, Well, first of all, you're not asking God for it. You're just trying to take it from somebody. You need to pray. Yeah. It's self-reliance. You know, if I want something, I got I gotta go out there and get it myself. That's that's how I work. That's how, and that's really how the rest of the world operates. And with verse three, 
For even those who might be asking of God, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so for even the folks who are going to God and asking him for whatever it is that they have in mind, they're only asking him for those things so that they could use it for their own selfish desires. And he's saying that's why you're not receiving. Which isn't that just so underhanded of Satan to to get in, to even mess with our prayers. That yeah. like we can be asking God and maybe we're even asking for something good, but if the motive of our asking is just so we can spend it on our own pleasures, our own passions, then God's not gonna give that. And again, that goes back to Jesus talking about God is a good father. Uh, you know, he's not going to give you a, a snake if you ask for a fish or give you a rock if you ask for bread. And it, and God knows if we're just asking for something so that we can use it selfishly or to indulge our passions, then he's a good father. He's not going to give that. I mean, I, I think about that with my own kids, you know, like when, when they ask for something and I know, I realize you want that, but you don't need that. It's not going to be good for you. You're just going to spend it on, you know, like whatever. Like, no, you don't need that right now. That's right. Um, and God is a good father to us, um, much better than a father than I am to, to my own kids. And he knows exactly what we need. And sometimes we get really frustrated with like, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why isn't he listening? Well, we don't always know the answer to that question. But one thing we always need to keep in mind is, am I asking with wrong motives. Um, and I don't think this is to say that like, we have to have a completely 100% pure heart or God's not gonna hear anything we say. I think I've heard people sometimes take this to an extreme. Right. God gives us more grace. He's gonna talk about that in just a minute. Like he understands that we're conflicted sometimes. And it's like the, I believe, help my unbelief kind of thing. We need to come to God humbly, humble ourselves, recognize, confess our sin. And then trust that God will give us the things that we really need. Like wisdom in chapter 1, where he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously and without reproach. I just think that's helpful in thinking about our prayers. Yeah, and as we think about going to God and asking him for something, I think it's important to slow down and think about it before you ask, how am I going to use this to glorify God and not just for my own selfish passions or desires? If God grants me this gift or whatever it is I'm asking for him, how can I use this for his purposes? Mm -hmm. That's such a healthy practice to get into, and it's not one I'm always in, so I need to work on that. Yeah. And, and again, this section begins and ends with the passions. Right. Um, what's the source of quarrels and fighting? It's your passions. It's your pleasures. Right. Um, you, you desire, so you don't, and you don't get it, so you take it. Right. But what you should do is you should ask. But sometimes you ask and you don't get it because you're wanting to spend it on your passions. And right. so, like, all this comes back to we've got to fight against, not our brethren, but against our passions. Yeah. we got to track sin back to its lair because uh, lust brings forth sin, brings forth death, back to chapter 1. And we're at war with our lusts. Right within us and, and trying to put those down, humble ourselves. And so for these brethren or for us, if we're struggling with this, um, with sin and, and letting it wage war in our souls and in our hearts, then guess what? We're not having friendship with God. We're having friendship with the world, which I think leads perfectly into verse 4. You're mm -hmm. adulteresses, which is really interesting that he calls them that. Because when we hear that word, we naturally think of a man and a woman who are married and one cheats on the other. But this is used to talk about our relationship with, with God. Mm -hmm. um, we are in a, in a covenant relationship with God, 
And as you think about maybe Ephesians 5 that we went through, that we are the bride of Christ, um, and just kind of think of those images. And whenever we're going out and flirting with the world, and when we're spending time with them, and we're, we're trying to have some type of relationship with them over our relationship with God and Christ, then what does that make us in a marriage relationship, in adulteress? That's exactly what we are. And we have to understand that, that we, we cannot serve two masters. Uh, we, you cannot serve God and wealth. You, you cannot serve God and something else. You have to be totally committed to the Lord. And so he calls the friendship with the world hostility toward God. What did the ESV say there in verse 4? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with enmity. God? Yeah, that's a cool word. Makes yeah. himself an enemy of God. Right. And this goes back to what Jesus said about lust in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you look with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And that's what he's talking about, lust, our passions, the, 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 the desires within us for things in the world. And so if we're like coming to God and saying, oh, God, I'd really like this thing, but we're like, looking sideways, you know, lustfully at this stuff in the world. He said, you adulteresses. Like, look, look at what's going on in your hearts here. And, and this is what's so challenging is, is relationships are really what drive us mm-hmm. in so many areas of our lives. And when we recognize our relationship to the things of the world. Now, again, this is not to say, like, we can't have friends who are not Christians or, or have possessions or have things. But it's, what's my relationship to those people and to uh, those things? It has that become my treasure. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know, you can't serve God and money. Jesus had so much to say about these kinds of things. You, you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. Um, and so, where is my heart? Is my heart with the Lord? Is that the priority? Do I think of these other blessings as just a way to glorify God, like you were talking about? Um, or do I think of these things as the, God is the means for me to get my, this stuff? If that's the case, we're committing adultery with the world. Uh, which this is a whole Old Testament theme, right, of idolatry. And, I mean, you think about Hosea and, like, the adultery that goes on in, in that sense. Um, this is spiritual adultery that he's talking about. But God is supposed to be our husband. We're part of his bride. And I think this leads right into um, the next verse. Verse 5 can be kind of challenging to translate, and different translations take this different ways. But um, the ESV reads, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And there's different ways to take this verse. The way I'm inclined to take it is this is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, uh, which has some Old Testament roots uh, to it. Um, This is not a specific quote from one passage, but it's kind of a principle uh, that we see about God putting his spirit in the midst of his people, like at the tabernacle, the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, Isaiah 63 stuff. Um, But in the context here, this is the jealous husband. This is like... I. God said, I, I put my spirit in you. I put myself in you. And and now you're going off and flirting with the world? Like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. And when we hear the word jealous, uh, th- there's normally a negative connotation that comes with it. Uh, well, they're just being jealous of, of that person that has something that they don't have. 
And that is an, an appropriate way to see this word jealous sometimes in Scripture. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not to be jealous of Stephen because he has an ability or some kind of gift that I don't have. That's not right. That is not a healthy relationship for me and him. But there is a sense in which there's a healthy amount of jealousy I have for my wife. Yes. Um, and there should be some jealousy there. I should not want her going off, you know, going with all these other people or, or whatever have you. And if that were to happen... It's not happening, by the way, but I I should feel jealous about that. There's a healthy amount of jealousy there within a husband for uh, that relationship. And it's based off of love. Um, That's what it's based around. And that's the same jealousy that God has for us as his people, is a healthy amount of jealousy that doesn't want us just running around with the world. Yeah, and so I think that's the idea here in verse five that the spirit that he put within us that that, that is the down payment, the guarantee that we talked about in Ephesians that's within us that God made to dwell in us. He wants that. That that shows his relationship with us, and God cannot dwell where there are idols. It will drive his spirit out of us, and so he jealously desires that spirit he's put within us, um, and so we ought not be involved with the world so that we drive that spirit out. Yeah. I heard God's jealousy because there's several passages in the Old Testament where God even says, my name is jealous. Like, I am a jealous God. Um, we think, wait, that, how can God be jealous? But the difference is uh, uh, jealousy is God desiring what actually belongs to him. That is exactly right. Yeah. And worldly jealousy is us desiring something that doesn't belong to us. Uh, Stephen, that's a good good contrast there. I had not thought about putting it that way. And, and that's that's the difference between you know yeah. when God is jealous, it's he's he wants something that actually belongs to him. He yeah. put his spirit in us. He owns us. That's like the seal of his ownership, and uh, you know that covenant relationship. So by all means, he has every right to be jealous yeah. uh, over us when we're flirting with the world. Whereas our jealousy is usually, I want that thing that I don't have. It doesn't actually belong to me. That's that's not the right kind of jealousy and envy that we that we have. I've also heard uh, God's jealousy called uh, his zealous love. Because yeah, it is the same word, if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. in Greek. That's right. Uh, jealousy or zealous, which there's only the J or the Z in English, but it's the same root word. Yeah. And so it's God's zeal for us, his zealous love that defends what is rightfully his. And so I think this is um, powerful to think about that. Um, that the, the scripture teaches that God jealously defends his bride. He doesn't want his bride to go somewhere else. Um, and he, uh, he wants us to humble ourselves and come back to him over and over again. And of course, Hosea, again, uh, that, yeah, that is the story. Hosea is exactly the story there that talks about that. Which I, I think that's one reason why in verse 6, it follows this right up by saying he gives more grace. Yeah. Um, we have all been adulteresses. We, we've all run around with the world. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But thank God, he gives us more grace. Um, he, he keeps calling us back to him. And, um, I mean, that's, again, the, the Hosea story. Go, go again, love a woman um, who's loved by another man. And um, all of us have been unfaithful in our relationship to God. And yet he keeps taking us back. And yep. keeps taking us back, and keeps taking us back, and it's just a beautiful. And that's the story of Israel as well: is the idolatry over and over again, and yet God calling them back, calling them back. Um, he, he does not fail in His love for them, and He does not fail in His love for us. Yeah. 
And so it makes sense in verse 6 that he quotes from the Old Testament, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Mm-hmm. Almost sounds like, blessed are the poor in spirit, yes. right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's really the idea that God, and they shall be called sons of God, that they are going to be the children of God when they will humble themselves humble themselves before their creator. And just like we said, goes back to our Sermon on the Mount study. And I don't even know if we use this analogy, but uh, it's been used with us as you think about humbling yourself. Just think of the, the big inflatables at the Thanksgiving Day Parade <laughs> and think about something just coming up and poking a needle in it and it deflates. That's the kind of thing that we need to do before our God is we become puffed up and arrogant. We need to humble ourselves. We need to deflate before him. And God will give grace to those um, who will do just that. It also says God is opposed to the proud. I don't want to be anywhere in a sentence or close to being opposed by God. (laughs) That is a scary place to be because we know God will humble those who are proud, uh, prideful, whether in this life or in the next one to come. He will humble them. Yes, that's right. And um, it's just interesting to me thinking about verse 6, verse 7. Um, he gives more grace. Well, who does he give grace to? He gives grace to the humble. That's the quotation. And then... Um, Submitting to God is this humility that you're talking about, that I have to realize God knows what's best for me. I have my desires and my things that I want, but God knows what I actually need. And so I need to submit to him, humble myself, not be living for my own desires. And I need to resist the devil, and he'll flee from me. And then draw near to God. I love this contrast because so many times we talk about Christianity in terms of the negatives get away from that, get away from this, get away from, resist the devil. Amen. We need to do that. But there's two sides of that coin. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, I've heard it said something like, I can't remember the exact quote, uh, you know, when we uh, in dim darkness progress one step towards God, he progresses a thousand miles toward us in blazing light. <laughs> like, just that, like, it's a long distance that we've put between us and God. But, I mean, it's the prodigal son story, I, right? I was literally about to turn my Bible over. There you go. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about that. I was like, I remember the, the him standing there waiting for his son. Mm-hmm. But as the son grows, gets closer, he runs out, right? He's right. excited to see his son. So I was just thinking about that. God, God is not just going to wait for us to go the whole way, so to speak. Uh, but he's running out to us. Yeah. But yeah. I have to start with that initial humbling. Um, and it's when that young man, no one gave him anything, right? He, he's humbled mm-hmm. and he goes to goes back to his father. And that's what James obviously wants for, for these brethren and wants for us as well. Um, submit to God. Yes. Um, be in subjection to him, I think is another way you could put that. And, and I like pairing that with resist the devil. Yeah. Um, don't submit to the devil. Submit to God and resist the devil. Yeah. And this is so what happened in uh, the temptations of Jesus, right? Um, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you know, and he resists the devil and the devil leaves him. Now the devil looks for another opportunity to get at him. Satan's never done with us as long as we're still here um, in this life. But we need to resist him. Uh, Peter would say something similar. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are, you know, happening among your brethren. And um, 
we're in this war and we need to resist the devil and draw near to God. And it starts with godly sorrow, which is kind of what he goes into next. Yeah, so um, are you talking about there at the end of verse 8? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Yeah, and particularly verse 8 and then into verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and yeah. weep. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right. Um, this godly sorrow that uh, moves us to repentance. Uh, for Second Corinthians 7 talks about that. It's not just being sorry for what we've done, but letting that move us to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, because um, we've been double-minded, which I think this is the same um, word back in chapter 1. Is yeah, that right? chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, um, or for, verse 7, excuse me, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So there's double-minded there as well. Yeah, and there's also the idea of the prayer, you know, being careful oh, why yeah, yeah, we're yeah. asking uh, for stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yep, this is a repeated theme in James. But, yeah, I mean, part of humbling ourselves is grieving the adultery that we've committed against God and mourning and weeping. I mean, I don't know how, about you. I don't know how many uh, like refrigerators or walls that you've seen like James 4, 9. I appreciate <laughs> that. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is probably one of the least emphasized <laughs> verses in James, but it's in there. It's an important. Yeah. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. They will be comforted. That's right, which is verse 10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where you will find your comfort when the Lord himself exalts you. Um from your humbled position. And that's a lot. Jesus, Jesus says that a lot, that that's, uh, that's important to see. Yes. It's one of the biggest struggles that the disciples had, was humbling themselves to one another, serving one another. And Jesus' point was, you've got to start by humbling yourself, and then God himself will exalt you. And the ultimate example of that, of course, is Jesus himself. Yes. Um, there's actually him we, we sing in our local congregation, Exalted, that talks about this idea of Jesus humbling himself. He, he becomes... This man, he comes out from heaven, becomes this man, dies on a Roman cross. And what is he eventually? Exalted to the right hand of God. Crowned with blood and thorns, throned upon a cross, exalted. Yep. Exactly. Powerful him. Yeah. So in this section, I think just practically looking at this, is we, we have to realize what our sin does to God. We have to realize that my sin is a result of my own passions at war within me. When I'm at conflict with other people, that's me. And that's adultery. When I am trying to win the favor of the world, um, I am making myself an enemy of God. I'm walking away from my covenant partner. And I need to be emotionally wrecked about that. I need to be mourn and weep. But then I need to draw near to God again because he wants to take me back. And I need to resist the devil, get away from that, and humble myself before God. And he'll take us back. He'll exalt us. He'll, we'll be his bride again. He cleanses us in the blood of Jesus. This is a beautiful biblical picture of just what it means to come to God. And this is something that we do initially when we become a Christian and we repent and we confess Jesus as Lord and we're baptized into Christ. But it's an ongoing process for the Christian. I mean, he's offering this invitation to people who are already in Christ and says, you need to keep repenting, keep turning away from the world, keep resisting the devil, keep drawing near to God. It's an everyday decision to live in covenant with God. 
Um, just like any marriage, you know, you wake up, you choose each other every day. Um, this is what we do with our relationship with God. And um, he keeps taking us back. Yep. He gives more grace. Amen. Thank God for that. Amen. So we'll read verses 11 and 12 again. It says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Um, so, so here we got, again, speaking evil against one another. Um, so verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's your passions. Well, here, don't speak evil against one another. Um, and we have kind of here, like, how do we view ourselves in relationship to the law and the judge? Mm-hmm. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. But there's a lot of times where if I'm speaking against my brother, I start to become judge, jury, and executioner in that situation. And he's saying, no, if you're speaking evil against your brother or judging your brother, you're judging the law. And it's a little bit of a confusing way to say it, but the idea, I think, is that we can become the standard when we're judging our brother. Because I don't think this is just, hey, brother, look at what God said. Look at what the judge said. That, that, that would be appropriate, and it is appropriate that for would, us to do that. That would be exactly what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18. Right. Yeah. But this is the hypocritical judgment right. of Matthew 7, where I've got a log sticking out of my own eye, and I'm going to my brother with a speck in his eye saying, hey, you can't do that. You know, we're coming down. And I was like, bro, do, do you, does the law not apply to you? You've got a log in your eye. Now, you're judging the law because you're misusing it, you're being a hypocrite. I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah, and I think the end of verse 11 specifically helps me understand that because this is a verse that has confused me for a long time. Then of verse 11, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. That's where you see that hypocrisy. They're not doing what the law said, but they're simply walking around hitting people in the face with the scroll saying you ought to be doing it this way when they're not living it themselves. And Jesus did not stand for that with the Pharisees. Their hypocritical ways he called out every single time. That's really ultimately what killed him was their jealousy of him, but also his his frankness with them that they are living hypocritically. Mm -hmm. And he points out in verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Right. And so again, I think the these verses get thrown around a lot you can't judge me don't judge me judge not you know bible says judge not well yes that's correct but we have to look at the context um he's just talked about judging yourself you know like making sure that you're not committing spiritual adultery um and there's a place and a time to go to our brother james is going to end this book by saying if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and recover a multitude of sins. He's gonna. Say, there's a time where we need to say, "Hey, brother, come back. Hey, turn away from what you're doing. That, that's appropriate." Right. But people want to say, "Oh, don't judge me." Well, the the judgment here and the judgment that Jesus was talking about in Matthew seven is a hypocritical, self righteous yeah. judgment that ignores the law breaking in my own life to attack the law-breaking in someone else's life. And the other thing that does it for me, in verse 12, he calls God the lawgiver, the one lawgiver. And as I think about, I'm not the one that gets to determine the standard, okay? I'm not the one that gets to walk around and say, everyone ought to be living by the way that I'm living and by my law. 
you're not the one that's in that position. Only God is. And so who are you to judge your neighbor by your own standard, by your own law? What we need to do as we judge our neighbor, really what we're doing is passing along what the judge, what the lawgiver has said. And so I think he's condemning here somebody who's walking around with the log in their own eye, trying to judge people by their own standard that they've made up for themselves. Yeah. And that is not okay. And this is one of those passages where the Sermon on the Mount, I think, really helps clarify, you know, what James is talking about here. That James is almost this commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And they complement each other really well. Um, Again, Jesus and his half-brother, James, uh, if that's who this is, this is just cool to think about um, how they they complement these teachings here. And, of course, all of it coming from God, of course. But this whole section, I think, is helpful to see, um, you know, we've got to watch out for fighting and quarreling among brethren and we need to not judge each other hypocritically. Uh, James is really trying to get his audience to get along with each other as brothers yeah. and as siblings. It, siblings fight, but we've got to humble ourselves, yep. recognize that God is our Father, God is the lawgiver, God is the judge, and that will solve a lot of other issues. If we're fighting, if we're resisting the devil and submitting to God and drawing near to God, it'll help us draw near to each other too. That's exactly right. Check your heart. Um, look at yourself. Look at your relationship with the world. See how it's determining the rest of your relationship with the Father. So a lot, lot of really cool principles here. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to get into this section that I'll call the come now section. And specifically, he'll have some things he wants to say to some rich brethren. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Yep. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Um, if you'd like to study with us online or in person now, uh, we are starting up back up some in-person studies. Please reach out 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for, for more information, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks.